Hi, I'm Dori Baker. And I'm Rose J. Percy. We are the co-hosts of Live to Tell, a podcast that centers the voices of young people making meaning out of the stories of their lives. Dori and I are two people who believe stories shape our reality. But many of us are stuck in stories about God, self, and others that we no longer believe. Each episode, we invite two guests to share a moment from their lives that awakens fresh interpretations about the practices that are helping us survive and thrive. If you want to be part of unleashing stories that help free us into creating a world we'd like to live in, come along for the journey. Today, our guests are Maria Alejandra Salazar and her friend and mentor, Dr. Patrick Reyes. We will ask them to introduce themselves in just a second. But first, let me ask Pat, can we just call you Pat? Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Pat is a scholar and a practitioner and a friend whom I've gotten to work alongside for many years. And I cannot tell you how happy we are to share the space with both of you today. Maria Alejandra and Patrick, would you please tell us a little about yourself, where you're living and what you're doing in life right now? Sure. I'm happy to go first. Hey, y'all. So my name is Maria Alejandra Salazar. My partners are she, her, and ella in Spanish. I am a formerly undocumented immigrant, I identify as queer, as an artist, living in Chicago, which is the unceded homelands of the Council of the Three Fires. And my what I call like my job that pays the bills is in philanthropy, where we get to resource social justice, grassroots movement work. But what I do for fun is this. I love storytelling. I love being in conversation with folks. I love embracing what it means to be a spiritual misfit. Mm-hmm. And so getting to do these kinds of conversations is just really fun for me. So also, Patrick, I'm claiming you as my mentor now. So it's <laughs> recorded. You can't run away from it now. <laughs> I appreciate that. Maybe that's just who I am. I'm Patrick Reyes. I'm Maria's now mentor. I claim that. I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico with my family. Being here, sitting between five generations of Carmelitas is the way I've liked to introduce myself. Five generations back, there's Carmelita. My grandmother, who I owe my life to, was a Carmelita. My daughter is a Carmelita who is driving my life currently. And in five (laughs) generations, I'm sure there will be a Carmelita that hopefully we're doing good work together to make space for that human to thrive on this planet. And just grateful to be here to listen to Maria Alejandra tell her story. I'm grateful. Wonderful. Thank you both for being here. Yeah, thank you both for being here. I was struck by the word misfit, spiritual misfit, that you said, Maria Alejandra. And I always keep near me a book called Misfits by Michaela Cole. I love that. (laughs) Because it just inspires me. And so for our grounding today, I will channel that book into our space. All right. So I invite you all to center down, as Howard Thurman would say, to plant your feet on the ground near you or the floor and take some deep breaths in your own timing and as I'm thinking about what it means to be a misfit as Michaela Cole talks about is a misfit is often to be someone who looks at the world differently but it's also sometimes to be seen differently as well. And so meditate on what that means for you to be a misfit. Are you someone who looks at the world differently and is seen by the world differently? Another powerful thing that she mentions in this book as she navigates 
her own creative projects and the systems that try to hold her back from her creative vision. She says, sometimes the only power we have is to say no. And so as you linger on that thought, how will you exercise your power to say no? So that you could preserve the wonderful ways that you might say yes and have the energy to say yes to what is beautiful, what is wholesome, and what is good. So I invite you back and let's hold on to what it means to be a spiritual misfit in this conversation. Thanks, Rose. Now we turn to the part of our time together where we get to sink deeply into a holy listening of Maria's story. So Maria Alejandra has carefully thought about a story she'd like to share with us, and we're going to listen deeply from our own grounded center, paying attention to the feelings that the story stirs in us and the associations that get nudged, maybe awakened. And at the end of the story, Rose is going to invite us into a sharing of those feelings. But while we're listening, our job is only to listen and to try to clear our heads of any other agenda so that we are 100% or 98% present to Maria Alejandra's story as it's unfolding. And that other 2% is our own self-awareness of how we're landing. Thank you, Maria. Thank you all for this invitation. So this is a little bit of a story within a story. During my grad program, I met one of my closest friends, an intelligent, beautiful, and hilarious gal named Maddie. Earlier this year, Maddie went through a really awful and unexpected breakup with her ex-fiance. Being just the incredible, brave person that she is, she reached out to her pastor to create a ritual. So this is a ritual to mark the date, which would have been her wedding day, had her engagement not been broken. As part of that, her pastor invited a few of her loved ones to write her messages describing a time when life took an unexpected turn, which she would then compile for Maddie. So this is the letter that I wrote for her. Dear Maddie, I want to tell you the story of how I met Luis. You've probably heard us share this before, but this feels like a good time to go deeper, maybe even be controversial yet brave. I met Luis about 11 months after starting my very first organizing job, right out of college. Nothing about that past year had gone as planned. I walked at Northwestern's commencement in June 2011, but was secretly ashamed because I technically hadn't finished my degree. I was supposed to spend the summer finishing the four classes I had left, and instead I spent it partying and even worked as a club promoter for like three weeks. Hashtag unhinged. I had planned to travel and work at jobs in Colón, Panama, come the fall of 2011, and that fell through because of the not finishing classes. Also, my mom had lost her job, and I was offered a job to be a community organizer. It was a no-brainer to stay and get paid doing my dream job. Those 11 months that followed were the hardest. I was fighting imposter syndrome, all the insecurities that come with being the youngest at an organization I had been dying to work at, 
And now we know I also had undiagnosed ADHD. I was also living alone for the first time in a cute little Evanston studio. I threw myself fully into work mode, cosplaying like someone who knew what she was doing. How did I release stress, you might be wondering. I partied hard every weekend, some weekdays, had random hookups, and developed feelings for my friends with benefits. Spoiler alert, it did not end like the Justin Timberlake Mila Kunis rom-com of the same name. I told them we should end it because of said feelings, didn't give them a choice, and proceeded to pretend like everything was fine, and we could be friends. Cringe. So by the time July 2012 came around, I was at my rawest, most unhinged self, simultaneously feeling on top of the world and like the worst person ever. And with that glorious energy, my girls and I walked into the party where I would meet Luis. Was this a good time to get into a relationship? Highly debatable. I did everything possible to sabotage it. From stopping us mid-kiss so I could drunkenly ask if he was a Republican, to making us take a one-month trial run when he officially asked me to be his girlfriend 11 days later. Years of hindsight and therapy later, it's clear that I was fighting what I intuitively knew could be a good thing with Luis. I was scared of my big feelings and terrified because the one plan that hadn't yet fallen apart was stay single in your 20s. That was literally all I had left. The only thing I was clinging to that I had control over. Looking back, it was clear I had a choice to make. And because I love to make lists... It was A, do I stubbornly hold on to this vision I'd had for myself for no real reason other than I wanted to be free, yet also have control and not settle down because I'd seen my parents' relationship fall apart with their divorce? Or B, do I take a blindfolded leap into something that in my bones felt right, but involved surrendering to the unknown? It was the most terrifying decision I had to make. And every day I give thanks that I made it. It involved years of therapy, working through trauma, choosing to be better for myself and us, and leaning on friends and loved ones as I navigated this unplanned turn of events. To be honest, if you told 23-year-old me just how much work this leap of faith would entail, she might have gone with option A. I'm writing this letter on our couch with Luis sprawled out next to me. We're full from ramen and ice cream from La Michoacana. Yes, my lactose self took the dairy hit. What once felt like a full-blown derailment of my life plans has turned out to be the most unexpected blessing, opening my heart up to more than I could have ever dreamed of. It seems weird to share love story on how I met my husband on your would-be wedding day, a day you are so courageously choosing to reclaim for yourself. The thing is, it's also a love story of myself and others, of loving the 23-year-old me who chose to heal and grow despite not having a model to imagine what that could look like, the family who came to know and love Luis, the friends who helped me when we almost broke up several times, the community we built around us, which became even better when we met you. To know you is to love you, to root for you, to want you to live the most vibrant, rich, adoring, peaceful life because you deserve all that and so much more. 
It's an honor to be in your life and especially a part of this day. My prayer is that one day you might look back on your 28-year-old self and feel a surge of love and admiration for her, for her choice to heal, to turn to loved ones instead of enduring this alone, to hold space for pain and heartache, to nurture herself back to wholeness so that new life may emerge. Because transcendent agape love will have the last word. You are the boldest person I know. Te quiero mucho, siempre. And if you're wondering what happened after, on her would-be wedding day, Maddie spent time by herself with the kit her pastor had prepared for her. Inside were candles, tissues, and a handmade booklet titled, A Blessing Way into Maddie's Future. I can picture Maddie making her way through the rituals in the booklet, then gingerly taking each letter out of its envelope, reading messages that transcend geography, allowing the love and support of her community to wash over her, knowing that she'll be more than okay. Wow. Thank you so much, Maria Alejandra, for sharing. That was beautiful. Thank you. I'm ready to go into my feelings. <laughs> but I'm wondering, as we take a second to just sit with that story, what is coming up for you? And anyone is invited to respond. Yeah. What moments of your life do you recall as well? Could be another place to go. But yes, feelings for sure. Let me just say that I love the idea of a ritual to honor this ambiguous grief of a broken engagement and to create a space for someone to mourn and feel held during that time. Like I have never heard of something like that and I'm just so deeply inspired by it. And I just feel so much love and tenderness through your writing, but also just like knowing that the idea of like your story within the story, like the levels of care there, like I will be thinking about that for a long time. Yeah, for me, the I would like to change the intros all the way back to the beginning, Maria Alejandra, because I don't want to be a mentor. I want to be your friend. Mm -hmm. I'm in my feelings. That letter reads like deep love and friendship, and I'm just really moved by the way that you have connected your own experience to and the gift you offered up to your friend to sit with your own experience as a way of working through her own life and her own journey and what a gift that is so yeah i'm i want to be your friend <laughs> can mm -hmm. i change can i can we just be friends i want one of those letters we were already friends in my mind but sure <laughs> okay good okay good i'm okay <laughs> then i want a letter from my friend yeah Perfect. that was beautiful <laughs> thank you patrick and maria you're of course also invited to share your feelings as you were reading the story and experiencing it again i'll share that i had goosebumps in my body throughout most of the story. And also, it was just beautiful to look at your face on this call and see your grin when you talk about Luis and the love that you found. You're so embodied in that telling. And then at the end, I looked around and I don't think there was a dry eye. I think we were all tearing up at the depth of emotion that this story holds and the way we were able to enter into the love that you feel and the way that you've described communal love as more than just between two people, but your whole community. Thanks, y'all. 
Sarah's feeling goes, I'm a cancer sun and a cancer moon. So there's lots of that. But the main thing that I felt when I was going into it, I was like terrified. Like I'm putting my friend's business out there, my own business out there. I mean, I have her permission and her blessing to share this because also Maddie is that person that like is so generous in all aspects, right? But still, you know, these are the things that I think we connect with friends and you just never expect that you're going to be sharing this on a podcast Mm -hmm. where like your mentors and people you admire (laughs) will be listening to quoting a Justin Timberlake movie. But (laughs) here we are. Usually when I am terrified to do something in my body, like when I feel that, it's a sign that I should do it. So just thank you for the invitation. (laughs) Well, thank you all for that dive into the feelings. There's probably many more. If we had more time, we'd get to sit with them a little longer. They'll surface during the rest of our conversation, and you can, of course, share them as they arise for you. And we're going to move into a part of the conversation where we let this story speak to other stories, the stories we know by heart. And we're going to ask and wonder about where does our faith tradition, even the faith tradition within the faith traditions that we might practice or be exploring show up in the story? Or how might the story unearth a new interpretation or invert a familiar interpretation we have of the stories that we live within? And then one other prompt for this part of the conversation is whose voice is missing from the story or from our conversation around it? So let's just jump right into that. How does this story connect to those other stories of the traditions that we're embodying? I can jump in with, I think, given the theme that we're talking about, a tradition, this was a lay Mexican Catholic. One of the sacraments, one of the seven, is marriage. And I think, especially for thinking around traditions and practices, choosing the person or people that you want to spend your life with, comes with ritual, practice, a whole bunch of traditions, I think, the story lifts up how that needs to be ritualized in all of its complexities, not just in the moment, but in the moments of loss and grief. And I think, yeah, for me, that tradition is being challenged in a lot of ways that's good. And I think this is a great example of that, that it's not just about the celebration where you get all your family together and head to Mass or you know head to a big reception, but it really is about taking inventory of the ritual of eating ramen and ice cream celebrating the person who's laying on the couch next to you or or that person who's not there anymore and finding ways to transition out and how much of a place that takes in us and just one more thing i'll say on that is given the work i do at fte the work of helping young adults find meaning and purpose when we survey people about what's the most important decision in their lives the people they choose to love is always number one so I love that we're centering something that takes up so much of our heart space, our soul space, our mind space. When we're young adults and throughout our lives, about who we choose to love, it's life-changing decisions and how we spend our energy. And we spend Mm -hmm. a lot of time thinking, emoting, loving those parts of our lives. Wow. Yeah, I'm just thinking about what you said, Maria Alejandra, about your goal of being single in your 20s. And for me, it wasn't so much of a goal, but an unintentional happenstance. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to be turning 31 soon. And just within Christian spaces I have grown up in and been a part of, 
so little attention is focused on like how beautiful life can be through just as a single person. Like marriage is seen as like the pinnacle. This is where living like Christ is fulfilled in its greatest iteration. And it's like, oh, so if you die single, you've never had like the peak Christ-like experience. Okay, great. And that just felt so cheap for me. And what I love about what your letter does is it honors like your journey, like through singleness and marriage. And it offers your friend in a space of singleness after having that broken expectation of marriage, space to exist And it's just beautiful that all of that is in there. And one of the things I think about as I'm like challenging the traditions that I've been a part of is so much of like our outdated advice to Christian singles comes from letters in the Bible that were said for particular situations. (laughs) And for me, like, I feel like what you've written, it reads to me like an epistle for our modern era. And that felt beautiful. Wow, I love that. I am often quoting Judith Seclera, an Asian feminist theologian, who says our lives are like fifth gospels. Every day we are the pen with which Mm -hmm. the creator is writing a fifth gospel. But I love that, that our lives are also writing epistles, letters to the community, right? And I love what Patrick said about the sacrament of marriage. And I think so many young people today are finding ways to sacramentalize friendship. And that's what I'm going to take from this story. Sacramentalizing friendship. It is in naming the sacred that is in this love that we have that spans outside of our homes and into our homes and around them as we can intentionally build and name as sacred. The other thing that I just want to lift up is the line from your story that held so much power for me was the idea of holding space for pain and heartache that friends don't just celebrate <laughs> the good times. The, the friendships we want to sacramentalize are those ones who can hold space for pain and heartache. Mm-hmm. And how important that is in our faith stories, like how important it is to acknowledge suffering so that we can, I think you even said it that way, create a space out of which healing can grow. Yeah. So as someone who never expected to go to seminary, like in my classes and stuff for my Master of Divinity. I would read some stories and I was like generally shocked because I hadn't heard them before. Also growing up as a lay Catholic person. And one of them was in a class I took with Dr. Shirley Anderson. And we dove deep into the book of Judges. And there's this one story in particular about Jephthah and his daughter who he basically sacrifices. And that involves like this idea of like getting together with women, with your community, remembering, holding space for the pain, seeing someone's humanity. I mean, when I saw that reflected in the book, I was like, whoa, like in some ways it could feel new, like this idea of not just having sacraments for marriage, but also sacraments for loss and grief. But reading that made me realize like, whoa, this is ancient. Mm -hmm. This is biblical. This like folks getting together to commemorate something and saying that like this is worth commemorating yes wow i almost shouted (laughs) while you were talking about that that is amazing (laughs) fun fact my middle name is literally jeff's daughter so as you were sharing i was like wow that is that's really cool i love the role of the pastor in this story she's just off there at the edge And what she does is ask a question that releases the priesthood of all believers. 
Like everybody sacramentalizes. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the circle moves into this role because she's very gently decentering herself. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really cool too. So as we turn to our next step, let's consider and think about what are the practices, the soulful practices that are helping you and your community survive and thrive. One soulful practice. One of my favorite things is taking this idea of writing a letter to God and shifting that because, you know, our faiths might be in different places. It could show up differently. And so the invitation that I've both offered and also stepped into is writing a letter to an ancestor. So it could be like a great grandmother. It could be a movement ancestor, an artist, an elder. But doing this, I think it's one of the first times that I wrote a letter to a friend, like someone I know well and is currently alive and I've gotten to see. So this is both an invitation to others and also like it was just so beautiful and and it felt almost so much easier. So I would just say if anyone's struggling with writing a letter to God because that feels really big, write a letter to a friend. Oh, I love that. And I love writing a letter to an ancestor or a future ancestor as Patrick began us putting that stark image of our mind of a future Carmelita. Mm. And I'll just throw one more idea out there. One of my daughters, when she was 10, she sat down and wrote letters to herself on the day that she graduates high school, the day that she graduates college, the day that she gets married, the day that she has a baby. She has these letters. Like She just thought that would be an interesting practice. So I think about the way you were talking to Maddie, thinking back on her as a 28-year-old and yourself as a 23-year-old. There's so many beautiful ideas in there for sacramentalizing our own conversations with ourselves. Yeah, for me, the practice would have to be decolonizing or reimagining, recovering our diet. So one of the things in your story that stood out to me is that you took the lacto hit (laughs) with that ice cream. (laughs) For those who are detribalized indigenous or indigenous to this land, our guts are not made for that. That's a European imposition. So Mm -mm. trying to find ways to ritualize knowing the food that grows here in this space, what my ancestors grew and made and share those practices with my kids so that way we can re-ritualize the way that we're supposed to be in relation to the land and and to our guts, our microbiomes, our micro-ecosystems. To me, that's a practice of self-care and communal self-care, honestly. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. I want to ask if there's anything else that's resounding from you from this story that you're going to take with you into your day, your week, your month, your year. Sometimes we talk about a next most faithful step, and Patrick just named one. But is there anything else in the story that's going to be resonating with you? As I listen to your story, I've been thinking about my friendships. And I would love to integrate the practice of writing letters to my friends as a spiritual practice. Beautiful. Yeah, for me, I'll take away this idea of misfits and cosplaying. As someone who knows, I think those things are related. I think also the way I've been kind of thinking about this as a aspiring or kind of in my soul more mystic than prophet or priest. What does it mean to lean into that and find friends that affirm those gifts and those inclinations? 
And I heard that in your story. I mean, just that misfit. There's actually a mystic, I think, you know, someone mm. who's in tune with the spirits <laughs> and ancestors. Mm-hmm. And that's not always readily understood by the community. So I'm going to be sitting with that misfits. And then this, yeah, cosplaying as an adult, I'm still doing that. So... <laughs> I don't know what cosplaying is. So for the benefit of other people like me out there in our listening audience, what is cosplaying? It's when you put on a costume and then pretend to be that person and you're normally doing it in a community. Yeah. Yeah, think Comic Con. Oh, yeah, like awesome. like nerd culture, like oh I'm gonna you know I do that all the time now. I have a name for it. Thank you. <laughs> Hey, y'all. This has been really fun. I'm so, so grateful to you for coming out and playing with Rose and me today. It is a joy to get to dive into this fun, fun corner of life with you. And we appreciate you. Mm, Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, everyone. This podcast exists for people who want to listen deeply to young adults and to walk alongside them as they make sense of their lives in these post-pandemic days. In each episode, we're following the acronym L-I-V-E to guide a four-step method, moving from story sharing to meaning making. Along the way, we surface topics such as vocation, wellness, activism, friendship, and justice making. In light of spiritual practices, young adults are upcycling to meet their everyday needs to survive and thrive. If you'd like to learn more about this methodology or host a conversation like this in your community or virtual neighborhood, check out the Live to Tell resources at dorybaker.com. This season of Live to Tell is funded by the Young Adult Initiative at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois, through the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. You can learn more about that project at garrett.edu and on Instagram at garrettyai. We'd like to thank our producer, Marthame Sanders, and give a shout out to Shake and Bake for composing our beats. Thanks also to Laura Farmer, the intuitive counselor, for serving as our professional mental health consultant. You can find more information about all of us and today's guests in our show notes. If you want to know more about Rose J. Percy and her work, please check out her podcast, Dear Soft Black Woman, and her newsletter, A Gentle Landing, on Substack. And you can find out more about Dory Baker at dorybaker.com.